This episode is sponsored by Meltwater. Without reliable data, your marketing strategy is a guessing game. Replace the guesswork with concrete insights using Meltwater, the global leader in social and media intelligence. Meltwater's data-rich suite of PR and social media solutions lets businesses make marketing decisions with confidence. More than 27,000 organizations worldwide use Meltwater to understand and engage their audiences. Get yourself to meltwater.com to learn more. Hello, everyone, and thanks for hanging out with us for the Behind the Numbers Weekly Listen, an e-marketer podcast made possible by Meltwater. This is the Friday show that just realized it loves all kids and actually just hates bad parents. I'm your host, Marcus Johnson, in today's show. Social media engagement hits a new low. I mean, social is competing you know, very much with video platforms at the moment, CTV in general, retail media. So I'd be surprised if we were seeing the opposite trend there. Is TikTok becoming Gen Z's Google. The fact that the news organizations who have been burned many, many times by trying to trust platforms that are, are there willingly says all you need to know about its prospects as a news platform. Will the de-influencing trend stick around? And I think the smarter influencers and creators will bank more on brand partnerships if they're trying to generate revenue. And if they put these companies' products on blast, they're basically shooting themselves in the foot. Can YouTube music compete with Spotify and Apple, and some interesting facts about the road to electric vehicles. Join me for this episode, we have three people, let's meet them. We start with our senior analyst on our digital advertising and media team based out of PA, it's Max Willens. Yo. Hey fella, we're also joined by one of our directors of reports editing, he is based out of upstate New York. We call him Rahul Chada. Hey, great to be here, Marcus. Hey, fella. And finally, we have one of our directors of forecasting. He's a New York kid. We refer to him as Oscar Orozco. That's right. Happy to be here, Marcus. Hello, hello. So what do we have in store for you? Story of the week. We're going to talk about social media engagement and it going down. What's going on there? We then move to the debate of the week where we're going to have our panel uh, give the for and against arguments of three big questions from three recent news stories. And then we move to dinner party data. We talk about some random trivia that we've recently learned about. But we start, of course, with the story of the week. Social media engagement hits a new low, except for TikTok writes Nicole Farley of Search Engine Land, saying that organic engagement and traffic from social networks has been shrinking every year. She's citing a new 2023 social media benchmark report from Rival IQ. Uh, some of the main findings include, number one, engagement rates declined on Instagram for the third straight year, but have held pretty steady for Facebook and Twitter. TikTok's median engagement rate was well above competitors. Rival IQ defines engagement as a measurable interaction, in quotes, uh, including likes, comments, favorites, retweets, shares, and reactions on organic or boosted posts. So engagement rates declining on Instagram, flat on some of the other platforms. Number two, posting frequency declining. Is flat on Instagram, but took a 20% dive on Facebook and Twitter. Number three, 
Reels rule on Instagram. Reels dethroned carousels in multiple industries to become the most engaging post types. A couple of the highlights from this report from Rival IQ about social media in 2023. But Oscar, I'll start with you. What was your take on this social media engagement research? Well, a a lot to digest. Um, And I'll be honest, at first view, I thought the headline was a bit misleading because uh, Mm, I thought it referred to just all sort of engagement on the sites or on the platforms. Uh, But it is referring directly to traffic engagement with brand posts, um, a little bit of consumer posts as well, but things like ads, promotions, giveaways, and things like this. So, you know, my first reaction is I am not surprised by any of this. And a lot of respect to the analysis here. Uh, but not surprised. I mean, social is competing, you know, very much with video platforms at the moment, CTV in general, retail media. So I'd be surprised if we were seeing the opposite trend there. But I would like to say engagement overall, especially because of what we're seeing with TikTok. And this is with, you know, user generated content and all, all sorts of content on these apps, on these social apps, we believe is still up and very resilient since uh, the, the big boost we saw in 2020. So that's an important caveat to mention. I will also say their sample size of 150 companies really just looked at retail, media, food and beverage, which, you know, does explain a bit of why we might be seeing that shift maybe to retail media and, and video travel as well. But they are uh, missing industries like the tech industry, auto, pharma and healthcare. So I, I think the study, you know, uh, you have to take it with a grain of salt. A bit might be lost there in translation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that Oscar underlined one of the most important pieces of this, which is that it is mostly focused on brand posts and you know facebook and the meta companies in particular have spent years just choking all the organic oxygen out of the reaches of those posts for quite a long time so that's not surprising but i think also and oscar alluded to this too a lot of this can be tied to the insistence particularly on behalf of meta but of lots of platforms on inserting more video into the feeds that all of us spend our times looking at I think that what you're starting to see from social media generally is that it's becoming more like channel surfing than it is like group chatting. And it's really turned into this environment where even though, you know, all the platform video offerings make a big point of making it seem kind of unvarnished and authentic and immediate and and spontaneous, like the amount of energy needed to create video content is always going to be higher than it will be to, you know, type something out and hit send or post. And so... When you create an environment that kind of makes it harder for people to feel comfortable posting and participating, it's going to have a chilling effect across the board, whether the content is produced by, you know, businesses or by people. Hmm. Oscar, did you say overall, you were saying that, were you talking about time spent or engagement with social is, is creeping up or going up? It is, yes. And this is uh, according to our own estimates. Um, I think we, you know, we, it's really the TikTok effect, but it's not just TikTok. I mean, you know, we have tracked that on average, for example, from 2020 to this year, we think uh, adults will be spending about 17 minutes more on mm-hmm. TikTok. So that very much, you know, outdoes any sort of declines that we might see, for example, with Facebook or perhaps like what we've seen with Pinterest and things like this. But it also does, you know, come back to let's talk about platforms that are doing well like LinkedIn for example which is going to be from a much smaller base but LinkedIn has been doing great growing substantially over the last few 
few years. Snapchat has been very resilient as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, kind of an additive effect, we are seeing engagement continue to grow. Yeah. I think, though, what's interesting to me about the numbers with respect to social is one of the things that's been really important to think about when looking at any numbers around the digital ecosystem over the last three years has been the extent to which the early pandemic period warps comps. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there were lots of people commenting, you know, when Facebook's numbers declined in, you know, 2022, they said, oh, my God, you know, this is the sign of of an imminent collapse. And I do think that, you know, that's not to minimize the fact that Meta and Facebook in particular are, are dealing with lots of challenges. But if you did a sort of two year comparison instead of a year over year comparison, you would still see just outrageous, preposterous growth. And the reality is that, like, we all spent a crazy amount of time looking at social content on our phones in 2020 in particular, because we, in many cases, literally had nothing else to do. And you have to sort of bake in that gigantic jump that we all kind of experienced two years ago. And so even though if you look at lots of platforms that, unlike TikTok, things are flattish or even declining slightly, it is still from a pretty crazy base of daily use and engagement. So I looked at some of our forecasts. So Oscar, you're right. They are overall, they are going up average time spent per day with social networks. It's ticking up this year. It's going to be about an hour and 46 minutes a day next year, about an hour and 47 minutes, but there is nuance within that because TikTok is growing and some of those other platforms are flatter. TikTok, for example, 55, 56 minutes a day, people spending on that platform in the US just under an hour basically YouTube is in second 10 minutes behind that Twitter is in third about 10 to 12 minutes behind YouTube and then you've got Snapchat Instagram Facebook all sitting at about 30 minutes in a kind of joint fourth place but then when you look at average time spent per day with social video So video in particular on social, that is still creeping up pretty healthily. So it's going to go up three minutes next year to 48 minutes. So 48 minutes people spending with social video per day. And that accounts for 60%, 60% of time spent with social networks, 60% on social video and nearly 10% of time spent with digital media overall. Rahul, what's your take on where social media engagement is today? Does one thing jump out to you more than another? I think the thing that jumped out the most to me was just how sort of disparate TikTok's data was compared to the rest of the uh, flock, you know. And I was just wondering if it's a function of the design of its product, you know, it's got full screen video, it's maybe harder to scroll by, it's more in your face. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Reels product is really just a TikTok copycat, right? Mm -hmm. So if that one's getting comparatively high engagement too, I think it stands to reason Mm -hmm. that it's, you know, these higher engagement numbers on those specific product types are really a function of their design. Uh, I think that was the thing that, that jumped out to me the most. Yeah. All right, that's all we've got time for for the story of the week. It's time now, of course, for the debate of the week. Today's segment, Make the Case. For our panel, Rahul, Oscar and Max present the for and against arguments for each of the following questions based on three news stories, two contestants face off per question. Also, the following takes don't necessarily reflect the analysts' personal views. Their job is to just present the best case regardless and offer objective analysis. However, if Oscar at any point shouts out that he hates dogs, that does reflect his personal view, unfortunately. Where'd you hear that from? (laughs) Everyone. Everyone. (laughs) Everyone's saying it. All right, let's get to question one, and it's going to be Max going up against Oscar. 
For question one, TikTok is becoming Gen Z's Google, writes Kevin Tran of Morning Consult. Google did recently acknowledge that it was becoming a less favored search platform for Gen Zers, and this Morning Consult research supports that theory. Google Search is the go-to news discovery platform for U.S. adults, 46% of people doing that. That's less the case for the younger Gen Z people, 39%. So there are 46 for US adults, 39 for Gen Z. Whilst just 2% of American adults say they get their news on TikTok, seven times as many according to this research, 14% of Gen Z is saying they're getting their news on TikTok. So the question is, will platforms like TikTok eventually be able to rival Google when it comes to news search? Max is going to give us the four. So Max, platforms like TikTok will eventually rival Google when it comes to search. One minute on the clock, thanks to V, who edits the podcast, make the case. So I will start out by saying that I think that rival, I'm going to define rival as saying that it is going to be in the mix and in a meaningful way. I mean, the numbers you flagged make the point that it's about three times as many Gen Zers currently look to Google first for news, but the preference for video first information is growing quite considerably. So in that same research, they pointed out that about 13% of Gen Z goes to YouTube. So you add those two together and it's it's nearly 30% of Gen Z would rather get video first content. But the main reason that I would say that this is entrenched in here to stay is the fact that Reuters recently looked at the percentage of US news outlets that have TikTok accounts and three quarters of them do and more are kind of joining all the time. So Hmm. the fact that the news organizations who have been burned many, many times by trying to trust platforms are are there willingly says all you need to know about its, uh, you know, prospects as a news platform. Mm-hmm. All right, Oscar, you're up. Platforms like TikTok won't eventually rival Google when it comes to search. Make the case. Look, there's no denying the, the power of TikTok and, you know, it's larger than life status at the moment. But I mean, Max just said it himself. The study found that 14% of Gen Z adults reported using TikTok to start researching. 14%. That's really not a great number. I mean, the average adult was at 2%, right? But it did say, like Max said, 39%, a majority of Gen Z adults still indicate that Google search is where they begin gathering information about a major news event. So sure, the gap might have closed a little bit, but there's still a long way to go there. And, you know, a couple more reasons. I mean, when we just think about our devices, you know, Android devices have Google Chrome as a default browser, right? Uh, iOS uses search, Google search as well through Safari. So there's no chance that changes anytime soon. We're spending more and more time on our smartphones. So, you know, it just wouldn't make any sense for TikTok to really rival there. Also, last point, keep an eye on Congress and the growing calls And I I might say that they are bipartisan in nature to ban TikTok in the U.S. over security concerns. So if an outright ban does occur, you know, this is a story we'll put way, way in in the past. Mm -hmm. I would say if we're playing the uh, speculative legislative angle here, though, (laughs) we should also look at what's going on in Canada, where there is currently a fight going on between Google and its Congress over whether or not Google should have to pay news organizations in Canada for licensing its content. And Google has responded to this pressure by simply taking news out of its search results. And I think that a lot would have to go wrong for something like that to happen in the United States, but Mm. it's not completely inconceivable. And if, you know, there was a six, eight, 10 month stretch where you literally could not find news by Googling it, it might open a big, big door for, for TikTok as well. Yeah. 
Good arguments, gents. Max comes in with an objection, Your Honor. <laughs> and I moved to strike. Uh, I thought it was interesting that YouTube as well was just behind TikTok when it came to where Gen Zers get their news. It was like a point behind. So TikTok was a very prominent place, but other places also included platforms like YouTube. All right, let's move to our second question, folks. De-influencing is still influencing, writes insider intelligence principal social media analyst Jasmine Emberg. She explains that creators and influencers who usually use platforms like TikTok to promote products are instead telling audiences what not to buy. With hashtag de-influencing videos racking up over 200 million views on TikTok as of mid-February. But is the de-influencing trend here to stay? Max going up against Rahul. Max, you're going to present the will. So the de-influencing trend will make a significant splash in social media. Make the case. I think the easiest way to do this is just just sort of say that this is not a sui generis thing. I mean, sure, this started as a hashtag on TikTok, but I think you can look in basically any kind of public forum or media environment and you will find lots of different kinds of people openly debating the you know, merits of capitalism in general. And so it's not hard to imagine that that kind of attitude and sentiment could seep into all kinds of posts, whether that starts out as just, you know, this lip gloss isn't as good as people say it is to, you know, this product has palm oil in it, or this product is built using child labor. There's already been kind of negative sentiment around products and company services for years based on things like that. And so the idea that all of those disparate things could kind of glom onto this this hashtag or this movement and, and kind of power it forward seems quite plausible to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, Rahul, you get 60 seconds on the clock as well to make the case that the de-influencing trend won't make a significant splash in social media. Make the case. Uh, Yeah, I don't think so because, uh, you know, this is a good way for influencers to build cred and follower counts in the short term. But if you're a creator trying to make money, this is a terrible strategy. You know, Uh, platforms, ad revenue sharing models are notoriously opaque. And I think the smarter influencers and creators will bank more on brand partnerships if they're trying to generate revenue. And if they put like these companies' products on blast, they're basically shooting themselves in the foot. You know, brands aren't going to want to work with people who've uh, trashed their products or services. So, you know, I think while Max makes some points about this sort of wider communities, uh, if we're talking specifically about influencers, yeah, I don't think this is a trend that's going to have any kind of lasting power. Mm. I was just going to say, I'm totally with Rahul on the paranoia or you know speculation that it's possible that the platforms will start kind of twiddling the knobs to suppress the reach of these posts it's very much in their interest to not let something like this get too much oxygen and kind of take off um it's bad Mm -hmm. for business on a lot of levels and it would be really interesting to see if there's any attempts to sort of measure how much engagement these kind of posts do or don't get as this continues to move if it metastasizes yeah yeah, because we did see some research showing that negative posts do over-index. And so does this also sit into that same category in terms of engagement? Um, yeah, we'll see. Good arguments, folks. Uh, we move to our third and final question here. YouTube Music one-ups Spotify and Apple Music with new radio experience, Rice Insider Intelligence's Senior Director of Marketing, Retail and Tech Briefings, Jeremy Goldman. 
He notes that YouTube Music now offers a radio experience where users can create custom stations, a feature not offered by competitors like Spotify and Apple Music. Jeremy explains that users choose up to 30 artists when creating their own radio station, decide how frequently they repeat, and apply filters to change the mood of the resulting playlist. YouTube Music comes in a free version, a free one that contains ads, or there's YouTube Music Premium that lets users play music in the background, access ad-free music, and an audio-only mode. But the question here is, can YouTube really compete with Spotify and Apple Music in the music streaming world? Oscar against Rahul. Oscar, YouTube can compete with Spotify and Apple Music in the music streaming world. One minute on the clock, make the case. Contrary to what I said about, you know, TikTok not being able to compete with Google on search, maybe it's because Mm. I just believe in the power of Google. I believe that Google and YouTube can definitely compete with Spotify and Apple Music. In this alternative world that I was kind of picturing here, they wouldn't really have to you know, compete with Apple Music. And I think it boils down to the uh, OS device shares that we see, right? So it would really be competing with Spotify, how I see it. And I think that they have the deep pockets to do so. Think about it. Who wouldn't want to, if you're already paying for something like uh, YouTube Premium or for the cloud or for audiobooks or anything like that, why wouldn't you just add YouTube Music uh, to that existing subscription, right? Also, consider, do you know how many worldwide YouTube monthly active users uh, there are? Mm -mm. 2.3 billion. 2.3 billion. YouTube Premium is already, has over 80 million paying subscribers, so it's not far off. And, you know, as I mentioned, uh, it also, you can integrate music videos into your list. Uh, No other platform can do that. So I think it's not uh, so much of if it can, but when will it? Yeah, nice argument. Rahul, YouTube can't compete with Spotify and Apple Music in the music streaming world. Make the case, mate. Yeah, I mean, like Oscar kind of zeroed in on Spotify and, you know, this isn't an important differentiator. Spotify could just copy this new feature that YouTube launched. But I think the bottom line is people just want to use a a service of the music they want. They both have similar catalogs, but you know, Spotify kind of has the first mover advantage. And I think YouTube's free service is actually hamstrung itself with this really puzzling product design. You know, it doesn't allow you to play music in the background. Your screen's got to be on. And most people I think who are listening to music don't want to just stare dumbly at, at their screen. It's, it's wildly out of tune. Did you guys see what I did there? Uh, with how people want <laughs> well to use an app, you know? <laughs> and I think people who are thinking of upgrading to premium, Spotify offers the value adds of podcasts and also the Hulu bundle, which lets you get Hulu for like two or three bucks extra, you know? So I think all in all, YouTube's just sort of, you know, always going to be second banana here. Mm. Very nice. Max, you had a take that you wanted to share on this story in particular, right? Yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, and both guides have have alluded to this, just by virtue of how enormous their user base is and how much people use it for audio consumption already. I, I almost feel like the smarter way to think about this is, you know, the extent to which the subscription services can kind of muscle in on or, you know, claw usage away from YouTube. And if you look at the benefactors to the recorded music industry in terms of how much money gets paid out, YouTube currently is no longer the biggest payer, but just in terms of the amount of consumption that happens on YouTube, it far, far outpaces anything that happens on Apple or Spotify or anywhere else. And so just wanted to sort of point that out and make an argument that that 
probably is something that the record labels will do their best to bring up when they are negotiating with with Google over the mm-hmm. royalty that they get from YouTube for streams or plays on its platform. Yeah. This yeah, this story was particularly interesting. So Jeremy notes that today it's in a statistical dead heat with Apple Music. That's YouTube Premium in terms of the second spot tied for second with Apple Music. YouTube Premium is in the US in terms of paid digital audio subscriptions. But we forecast next year YouTube Premium will pull ahead as a clear number two. Jeremy noting that YouTube Music combined with YouTube Premium has over 80 million paying subscribers. Good enough to be the world's fourth largest paid music streaming service behind Spotify, Apple Music and China only 10 cents. But that 80 million YouTube music plus premium, still well below Spotify, less than half. Uh, Spotify has uh, 200 million paid subscribers. And then also, interestingly, YouTube music soon to include podcasts. But Google Podcasts is also still going to be a thing as well. So looking to add that to the service. All right, folks. Very nice. That's all we've got time for for the debate of the week. It's time now, of course, for dinner party data. This is the part of the show where we tell you about the most interesting thing that we've learned this week. We'll start with Rahul. So yeah, I, you know, I think it's uh, International Women's Month. I stumbled over some interesting information about Venus. So nearly every one of the roughly 2,000 surface features on Venus is named after a mix of famous actual women, heroines, and goddesses. So about 430 of those 2,000 features are named after real women. Most of those names, more than half, originate from Europe, and while a quarter from North America, and I think it was like three or four were from South America, so they have some catching up to do, I guess. About 40% of the women with name features are writers, a quarter are scientists, and about 15% are performers. But I stumbled over another interesting factoid too, which is that, you know, whatever body is responsible for naming these features, you can only name one feature after a person. And so all the features that are named after women are now like weirdly concentrated on Venus. There's, there's no like kind of distribution of female names across the wider universe, I guess, which I thought was sort of interesting. NASA is planning two more missions to Venus set to launch in the 2028-23 timeframe. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. Sounds like we have to blow up Venus. <laughs> <laughs> that was always my favorite planet growing up. Not sure really? why. Yeah, not sure why. <laughs> hmm. How come? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it looked the coolest. I don't know, but it, it was it totally was. That's where I wanted. I wanted to travel when I was an adult. I used to say, <laughs> so really cool stuff. The shortest time it would take to travel to Venus is three and a half months. Who's volunteering for that trip? <laughs> not that bad actually. venus is like also not that bad <laughs> i feel like it like rain sulfuric acid in v- on venus too like i have no idea why you'd want to go there i feel like <laughs> i didn't know that, that as a seven-year-old <laughs> they always no. use that as like the, the cautionary tale of what like greenhouse the greenhouse gas effect run amok will look like it's like eight thousand degrees and you know metal will just melt awful so why people are like oh we'll just move to another planet will we <laughs> will we Sulfuric, sulfuric acid rain. Oh, it takes four months to get there. What do you mean that's not that far, Oscar? When you go to Spain to, to see the family, how long is that on the plane? Feels like about a month and a half on that plane. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, 
<laughs> ten, oh. it's like ten, it's like Rolling. ten hours. <laughs> oh yeah. my goodness, three and a half months. Yikes. Okay, Oscar, you're up. All right. Well, I came across a survey from our、uh, sister company, Morning Brew, a few days ago in my emails. I saved it for you guys.、Uh, And it's about Chat GPT. Hopefully, we're not bored about that yet. But with it being such a hot topic, that you know we're starting to explore even more on on the forecasting team. I thought the survey was was pretty pretty interesting because it targeted the most important digital adopters in society, the future leaders of our country, college students. Bit of、Uh-oh. sarcasm there on purpose. <laughs> I think it has a bit of sarcasm on purpose, but it's it's important. You know, you want to hear sort of what they're doing with their time, with all the free time they have. So they looked at ChatGPT adoption on college campuses. Spoiler alert: it's lower than you'd expect. They surveyed 520 U.S. college students, and they found that 40% of them had never heard of Chatbot <laughs> from OpenAI. Of those who had heard of it, who have heard of it, 52% have never used it. 52. That's a big number. It's big numbers.、Uh, and the students who said they do use it, they don't use it at all that much. So 55% said they almost never use it. Now, you know, I know it's only been out a few months. So you know, the fact that six in ten students have heard of it, you know, it's pretty good numbers. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about you know how how they're using it. So among the students who do use it, you know what are they using it for? Seventy one percent said they've used it as part of entertainment or just having fun, having laughs. Seventy one. So really nothing very productive. Just just to kind of have a quick laugh with it. Thirty two percent said they've used it kind of like Google for search.、Um, so they look they're looking for quick answers to simple questions.、Uh, 31% said, for example, that they use it to understand complex topics. That's kind of what I've done with it so far. And then only 17% of them said they've used it to, to cheat. 17%. I, I didn't believe that, which made me doubt the rest、honest. of the survey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Also, the way they said it was they were in direct knowledge of friends who have used it to cheat. Oh my、um, goodness! Yeah, 40% of people said they'd never. They, they never must have thought it was a covert、funny. survey from the teachers. Like, have you heard of Jack GPT? Like, I've never heard of it. I don't know <laughs> what that thing is. <laughs>、uh, you have to wonder where you know what they've been doing with their free time the last couple months. But yeah, really interesting、uh, data there.、It's、still, I'm still very new. Still very early days. But、um, you know, I would have expected to. See more adoption in college campuses for sure. Yeah, a few months, maybe it was months ago, maybe it was weeks ago. We, I think it was all three of us were guests、um, on the weekly listen, and I, I talked about ChatGPT and, and AI. And、uh, Oscar, you said something that I've thought about like <laughs> almost weekly、Please、since then. <laughs> no, I mean what what you said is that you you know you wondered whether people were kind of getting ahead of themselves and like. Okay. Thinking about this as being kind of a、uh, you know something that we would all have to pump the brakes on, and you know the more I dig into it, the more I feel like that's something that we would all do well to remember.、Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of potential in it. There's a lot of wow factor in the technology, but it's also you know really something you should only be using to cheat on tests with.、Um, you shouldn't actually <laughs> be using it to do anything important.、Um, I thought I thought you were going to say when I when I first asked what what's that. <laughs> uh, which I think was my first, my first comment. But yes, I do recall this. It is a kind of a normal answer I give to any sort of real emerging tech stuff that has no clear use case. But I agree. I saw a 60 Minutes episode this weekend, great episode, and there were. I would say the main point of conversation was just that there's a lot of inaccuracies as well. So、mm-hmm. yeah,、uh, I, I agree with you there, Max. 
Oscar's been using ChatGPT to do his job for months now. And so <laughs> when we talked about it the other day, he was like, what? I don't know. I've never heard of that. I don't know what that is. I wouldn't have used that for my work. What are you talking about? It's probably why. Defensive. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, we, yeah, we did an episode on it on Monday. Uh, talking about chat GPT, the awareness of it in the public and also uh, whether AI search could be a disaster. So that's one episode this coming Monday. We've got another episode where we're going to be talking about um, marketers and companies and how they're using it as well. But yeah, all signs seem to point to pump the brakes a little and let's understand this thing a little bit better first. Uh, Max, you're up, mate. So I was thinking about the fact that uh, the Oscars are this weekend and uh, as a an extremely old millennial, I am someone who still watches the Oscars for some reason. And um, it got me thinking about a portion of the Oscars that I really like, but that still just kind of makes no sense, which is the shorts. I love the Oscar nominated shorts. They're great. I try to make an effort to watch them every year. And, you know, as I sit in the theater, you know, close to by myself, I just sit there going like, why do these exist? What is the point of these? Why are they here? I enjoy them, but it's always struck me as one of the ultimate like weird curiosities of entertainment. But it got me thinking recently that now that we live in this world where we are just bombarded with short form video everywhere, like what if that maybe means that there's potentially a, a newfound kind of cultural relevance and currency for shorts? And so I did some research into whether more of them are getting made or more of them are getting submitted to film festivals, things like that. The best I could do was information from press releases from the Sundance Film Festival when they announced the uh, you know field of short nominees. And the number that have been submitted the last several years is actually close to flat, which I thought was really weird and really interesting. About 10,000 shorts get submitted to Sundance every year for their festival. They usually wow. pick about wow. 50. Wow. <laughs> So sorry to the, the judges who have to sort through <laughs> 10,000 videos to find 50 to show the people that pay the ridiculous prices to attend the Sundance Film Festival. But yeah, it's flat. I'm sure we could have a big conversation about why that is or no one cares. That's impossible. <laughs> so quick math, and by quick math, I mean I use a calculator. That means that 0.005% of the 10,000 get selected. Lots of luck, everybody. <laughs> oh, yeah. Goodness. Tough odds. All right. On that cheery note. Uh, I've got one for you real quick. Uh, the road to electric vehicles. So four EV stats for you. Number one, global EV sales doubled in 2021 to a new record 6.6 million, notes Chris Dickert of Visual Capitalist, citing International Energy Agency data. China is responsible for half of that 6.6 million. Number two, the world leader in EV sales share is Norway. So of all the cars that they're selling, how many of them are electric vehicles? Over 80%, 80% of the new cars being sold in the country in a year are electric. Iceland is at 72%, Sweden is at 43% in third. The US by comparison is at just less than 5%, which would be half of the world average. The world average is about nine or 10%. Number three, the UK will ban new petrol and diesel cars in 2030, which is just, yeah, which is just seven years away somehow. You won't be able to buy, uh, you can drive one, but you won't be able to buy a new petrol or diesel car. Over half of all new car sales in Europe, over half of all new car sales in Europe will be fully electrified by 2030, which is again, it's just seven years away somehow. Um, and number four, 
Looking at the share of EVs on the road, so not the new EV car sales, the new sales in a year, but if you took looked at all the cars on the road and you took those, what share of those cars are electric vehicles? The leader is, is Norway. Today, 20% of cars on Norwegian roads are emissions free. In Oslo, the capital, the share is 33% feel like I'm inadvertently getting all of the analysts to move to different parts of Europe. <laughs> I convinced Max to move to Estonia a few weeks ago. Oscar, Rahul, any interest in Norway? Oh, yeah, I, 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 I'd try it out. I mean, yeah. And I think I'd, like, yeah, I'd like to visit. I've heard the fjords are quite beautiful, but... Okay. <laughs> I've been, but only for for a little a little bit. So I need to go back. Yeah, yeah, they're doing something right. Um, that's all we've got time for for this episode. Thank you so much, to, of course, to my guests. Thank you to Oscar. Thanks for having me, Marcus. Who hates dogs? Thank you to Rahul. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Marcus. Always a pleasure. <laughs> thank you to Max. Always a pleasure, Marcus. And thank you, of course, to Victoria, who loves dogs, but also edits the show. James, who copy edits it, and Stuart, who runs the team, who won't stop telling me about the Knicks <laughs> and how many games they've won in a row. Yeah, we're all excited for your nine-game winning streak. That means nothing. But yeah, thank you to him. Thanks to everyone listening. If you have a few seconds to give us a rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast, it would mean the world to us. They really, really, really do help us keep this podcast going. And so we'd be eternally grateful for that. Otherwise, we'll see you guys on Monday for the Behind the Numbers Daily, and you mark the podcast made possible by Meltwater. Happy weekends. Mm-hmm.